loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired, to create a deeper life, to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm your host, Cheryl Espinosa-Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today, I'm welcoming Michelle Madrid. Michelle's the author of Let Us Be Greater, A Gentle Guided Path to Healing for Adoptees and host of the Electricity of You podcast. She's an international adoptee, former foster child in the UK, and an adoptee empowerment life coach who's been recognized as an Angels in Adoption honoree by the Congressional Coalition on Adoption Institute and inducted into the New Mexico Women's Hall of fame for her work in adoption. She lives in Los Angeles, and you can visit her online at themichellemadrid.com with two L's. Welcome, Michelle. Thank you so much for having me, Cheryl. I'm so honored to be with you today. I'm honored to have you. And I I have to say, I've been looking forward to this, not just as as a radio host, but as an adoptive parent, because um, now that my kids are grown, um, having conversations about adoption and the impact and the um, the beauty and the pain isn't something that happens a whole lot in my life. So I've really looked forward to it. Thanks. Thanks for being with me. No, oh, I'm I'm really, truly, again, honored to sit inside of this conversation with you because what you mentioned is so, is so very important. And I, I look forward to digging in. Absolutely. I wanted to start with your, um, the way that you start your book, um, the dedication, because I feel it sets us up for, for the whole hour. Um, you say, for adoptees, please remember that the external things that have happened to you do not reflect your internal worth and innate deservedness, because you, in all your shimmering vibrancy, are deserving of deep healing and real happiness. Shimmering vibrancy. Thank you for that. <laughs> Thank you for that phrase. So let's start a bit with um, your own personal story, which uh, one thing we share in common is that our own personal stories have led to um, our callings, um, the work that we do. And, um, so I feel an affinity on that, but could you, could you share with the audience, um, the outline of, of, um, your own story and how it led you here? Absolutely. I was, as you mentioned, I am an international adoptee. I was actually born in the United Kingdom, um, my first mom, my first mother, uh, was married. She was a woman who was married at the time. She had three children. Recording in progress. Um, and she, um, as I talk about openly, she had an affair with my first father, uh, my bio dad, who was, um, Spanish of Spanish heritage. And, um, I, you know, I, I talk about that, that time and and share it um in a way of sharing story of what i was told for many many years what i read inside of my foster records um but my my mom struggled with the decision of whether to you know carry me to term and bring me into the world or not 
Um, she chose to um, deliver me into the world. Very grateful for that choice. Um, but she struggled with whether she would then keep me or um, place me into foster care. And ultimately, the decision was made to place me into foster care. My um, bio father was single, but he was not um, ready or willing, so the story goes, to um, raise me. And so he relinquished his rights um, to parent me. And I was with my mom for um, a few weeks, not long, long enough for her to knit baby clothes for me and to hold me. Mm -hmm. And then she um, took me, carried me to, uh, drove me to my foster carer's home. Um, I talk about that in the book. And she left me there um, on a on a cold morning, the chimney wasn't working in my foster carer's home. There were workmen crawling everywhere, and it states in my foster records. But her mother left her there, turned around, and walked away um, amidst all the chaos. And I think um, I share that in the book because I think that sort of sets the setting for um, what was um, in the early parts of my life a very chaotic time for me internally. Um, struggling with that sense of value, identity, even before I believe before I was even able to verbalize those things, um, was placed into foster care, ultimately adopted, but I was inside of foster care, I should mention, um, labeled as difficult to place, uh, a dark child, ethnic looking, even strange looking, my social workers wrote. Um, they didn't have a lot of hope that I would find a forever family, but I did, and an American family stepped up and adopted me. Um, they brought me to America to be raised after living sometime still in, in England and, and in Europe um, after my adoption. But um, I was also raised inside of a home with a father, an adoptive father who struggled with alcohol addiction. And so I look back at, at that, that little girl um, who was first named Julia Dawn by her first mother name was changed to Michelle upon the finalization of my adoption. I look back at that little girl. Uh, I hold a tremendous amount of compassion for her, for everything that she went through, the, the shifts and the changes um, in her life, the removal, um, and living in an environment where I, I, even after adoption, I did not feel worthy of love. I did not feel seen, heard. Um, I feared rejection every step of the way every single day. And I've, I somehow felt innately wrong, innately bad. And I, I did believe that I was the cause of my, my adoptive father's drinking. I just felt a whole lot of uh, shame and guilt and self-blame on my shoulders. Um, and it's been a journey, you know, it's been a process of, you know, I, I like to say coming home to myself, Cheryl, and learning how little by little, step by step, breath by breath to love that little girl who became this woman and to really embrace her and to live the truth of who I believe she is. And I think that journey of coming home to ourselves and the deep reunion of self is so key for all of us, adopted or not, to arrive at in our life, to really feel fully whole and at peace with who we are. And so um, I would say, yes, that shimmering vibrancy that I mentioned in the intro, the beginnings of the book, I did not feel that for a very long time in my life. I felt very much dulled down, dimmed out um, by my story. 
until the moment I knew that had to change, that that was not a sustainable way to live. You're you're also referring in a way, Michelle, to the intersection of overlapping issues. Um, this is life, I guess, right? There's there's what happened as a result of um, uh, relinquishment and adoption. There's what happened as a result of alcoholism. There's what happened as a result of of racism, you know, all of these, and there's no way that I've ever been able to determine to pull them apart, <laughs> right? They're all landing on a person. And then um, what, I, what I got from the book, because you share so candidly about your own story, is it um, parts of it come to us, and then we have to work with those parts. Um, and it seems to me, reading it that um a hugely meaningful part is just collecting all the pieces that got left behind mm. does that capture your experience yeah it's so it's so well stated because i do look i look back at my life and and i i see all the different these different moments who that shaped me um that shaped my thoughts you know if the thoughts are the building blocks of our life and then if i repeat a thought over and over again um it becomes the belief that's what a belief is right a thought on repeat and then that belief sets the stage for how i step into the world each and every day when i open my eyes before i fall asleep i i believe perhaps i'm unworthy i'm unlovable i'm innately bad i used to repeat those kind of that kind of messaging to myself over and over again and I didn't know how to stop it 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 controlled my life it seemed that it was pervasive and it was permanent and it was um who I was and so beginning to you know peel back the layers as I like to say and the work that I did for myself the work I help others do today is looking at those moments of our of our life um the relinquishment um growing up um in in the home of, of a parent who struggled with alcoholism you know I, adoption was hard abandonment was hard but alcoholism was hard too being a child of an alcoholic parent is hard um experiencing racism you know before I could even speak I I experienced that in in, in foster care labeled the way that I was you know, words matter and and we take these words in um words that are spoken around us about us and then ultimately the words that we use with ourselves create an identity and it can be very damaging and i and i see that i really began i think in my own walk and i hope this helps to answer the question with my own journey of healing I really began to look at the words that i was using with myself mm -hmm. where were those words rooted and these thoughts and these beliefs where do they come from i got to get to that place and work on and do the important i think hero work of, of shifting um those thoughts those beliefs those words that are not serving my highest good in the here and now um and that i think that is is work for each and every one of us and it's hard it can be grueling it's not easy but my gosh is it worth it um, when we can start that journey of really um, loving ourselves enough to see ourselves first and foremost as we are and then also lean into the vision of who we can be and who we're meant to be in this life you know you have to step on a path to get to the destination <laughs> so, in my mind there's no way to move forward 
completely unless you're willing to put your feet where you actually are. And it it occurs to me that you've really, really done that. Um, mm-hmm. I was I was thinking, you know, as I as I've said, I have a one of my children is adopted. Actually, um, two of them in the sense that uh, I had the first one with another woman, and at, at twelve, her co-parent adopted her. It's a very different adoption story, but it's an adoption story. All those pieces, and um, I was thinking so much. Um, while I was reading about the kinds of messages each of them received, um, the older one, it came out more as, um, I have to show how well I am, uh, because, uh, I have to prove to the world that my mom's okay. And, um, and the younger one, it, it, it was more, she got a lot of messages that she should feel lucky, which she refuted. She went the other direction, you know, mm-hmm. uh, kind of um, um, an intense uh, fighting back against that, right? Because they're different personalities, they're different people. But I can see the impact on their psychology both ways around. Absolutely. You hit on some really important points. You know, I, I look back at my own life, my own journey, and so many adoptees that I coach, you know, have this feeling that they have to prove their worth. Um, I had a gentleman um, who was in his 50s, adopted, and he he reached out to me. And he said, I'm really suffering in my life. I, I don't really know how to have relationship. He said, I I feel that I can tell you a long list of what I am, what I do, but I cannot tell you who I am. And I think it might have something to do with being adopted. Mm-hmm. Um that that long list of proving his worth through the titles that he had gained in his life, the degrees he had earned, et cetera, how he showed up in that way, um, but not really knowing himself, not really knowing the person that he saw in the mirror each and every day, really desiring to get there. Mm. Um, and I, I, I resonate so deeply with that because I felt like I had to prove and force and push, you know, each and every day to show that I was worthy of being in this life I've been given, not only proving that to others, but to myself, you know, and the real inside job, huh? The real inside job, right? That's so true. The real inside job. I love that. And, you know, as far as, you know, being told we're lucky, um, you know, we, we hear a lot and we have over many decades, adoptees will say, you know, that just be grateful um, uh, phrase has been used and used and used with us. Oh, don't worry. Just be grateful. Just move on. What happened before doesn't matter anyways. But the fact of the matter, it does. We don't come into our new surroundings as adoptees, as blank slates. We have a history. We have a story. There are people who are within that first story, that first chapter of our lives. And I think when we tell anyone adopted or not that they need to disconnect from what feels very much real inside of them, that which pulses through their veins, we do that individual a great deal of disservice and we're not honoring the fullness of who they are. And I think as humans, we need to get back to that, honoring that within ourselves and within you know each other. Well, this the way that I thought about it when particularly my youngest child um, was little is that she was actually living in two different worlds inside of herself. Mm. 
there there was the world where um she had been um uh let go you know or abandoned really and there was the world in which she was loved but but the way they intersected that that's a complicated life experience right you're you, you're not in one place ever no it's living the both and and not being told that we have to live this sort of either or existence because my first me as I like to call her little Julia Dawn yes she went through um something very significant in her life that uh that sense of abandonment reject rejection being left behind mm -hmm. by her first parents and leaving her first country her first culture and and you know coming somewhere new into new surroundings where everything sounded different looked different you know smelled different tasted different all of it um and then you know living as michelle I used to say to myself as a little girl, gosh, this just came up for me. And I haven't, I haven't even spoken this out loud for a long time. I remember as a little girl looking in the mirror and going, hmm, Michelle, this doesn't feel right to me. It kind of feels like a shoe that doesn't quite fit. I remember saying that to myself out loud, trying to get used to this, this name, Michelle. And I, yes, I'd been given it as a very young girl, but it just innately, it didn't it didn't resonate with me and, and it felt like a stranger's name, but I knew that I had to somehow make that shoe, make that name fit. I had to make it comfortable for myself and, and figure out how to do that, or at least to put on a good face about it. Right. So that little girl, Michelle was told, chosen, told that she was chosen, that she was lucky that she was, you know, and the thing about that is that I, I was grieving too. And yeah. so that was the space in the middle that I couldn't get to. I had this little girl on one side that had been left behind, the little girl who then became adopted and was told time and time again that she was chosen and should be happy and should be grateful. But in the middle was this murky water of grief and loss and a feeling that I just did not have value. Something must be broken about me that would make my first parents leave and then my adoptive father drink. There was just this, this, this gray area, this dark area that I was trying to navigate through. It was very painful and in fact, indeed, very isolating. So yes, indeed, that pain in the middle, that, that space that we are so often to mute down and silence is the very thing that we must get to in order to heal and move forward in our lives. That is a great place to take a break. And we'll come back and talk more about that. Listeners, you can find links to my website and social media at the Good Grief page at Voice America. Follow me on Instagram, like me on Facebook, follow me on Twitter, LinkedIn, the whole works. And uh, there's also a link to my novel, An Ocean Between Them. To find Michelle Madrid, go to themichellemadrid.com with two L's. Be back soon. Follow Voice America at facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. This is Good Grief host Cheryl Jones. Whether you're in grief, crisis, deep loss, or transition, working with the right therapist can move you forward like nothing else. That's why I'm happy to be sponsoring BetterHelp. Their user-friendly platform connects you with a therapist uniquely suited to support you. If you want to know more, 
follow the link on my host page or go to betterhelp.com slash goodgrief. That's betterhelp.com slash goodgrief and receive a 10% discount for the first month. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Resiliency is the human capacity to lean into individual and collective strengths with compassion and grit when faced with the challenges of lived experience. Join host Elaine miller Karras for Resiliency Within, a program of hope and healing designed to inspire you to integrate wellness into your life, your family, and your community. In challenging times, you'll want to tune in every week. Resiliency Within can be heard every Monday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. I'm your host, Cheryl Espinosa-Jones, and I've been talking with Michelle Madrid about her book, Let Us Be Greater. And one thing that was coming to my mind um, as you were talking at the end is, is um, you know, some people say um, um, anxiety is... Uh, um, a proper reaction to something that's no longer true, right? <laughs> so to me, if you're a child who does not feel safe and feels as if you're supposed to act a certain a certain way to um, even live from day to day, doesn't it seem natural that you'd be hard on yourself to try to control your own behavior? Mm, absolutely. It's one of the um, points of pain that I talk about in the book, Let Us Be Greater, I, I outline eight pain points that adoptees often experience. And one of them is this pain of pleasing others versus pleasing the self. And it was actually one of um, one of my biggest points of pain to, to, to work through and transform and understand that it was okay to um, fill myself up, please myself first, and even ask myself, what is it that I wanted? What is it that I desire? Does this feel right for me? Does this feel right or wrong for me? Um, because so often, you know, I, I look at um, the pain of pleasing others or pleasing others over pleasing the self. Um, pleasing others first often can be a form of self-punishment, mm-hmm. but we're not answering our own needs or even tending to our own needs. And so I think I had to come to a, a the question, quality question of asking myself, am, am I pleasing others and hurting me? 
And the answer was yes, absolutely. And, you know, I know that it was very much rooted in my childhood. It often is for adoptees that we feel like we have to um, please others, please our adoptive parents to stay safe from, you know, in my world, in my young mind, it was from being staying safe from being sent back mm-hmm. to wherever it was that they might. If it happened once, if it happened once, it could happen again. Absolutely. That was a very real and present fear and a thought in my mind and a belief in my mind. If it happened once, what would cause it not to happen again? And so I better be the perfect daughter, the happy little camper, the gleeful young adoptee, um, and, and just be perfect. And, you know, perfection doesn't exist. So I constantly daily fell short of that mark of perfection that I had in my head. And so there ensued a ton of self-criticism each and every day, bombardment of self-criticism, the feeling of just being ashamed of myself. I would blame myself. Look at me. I, I, I didn't please my mom again, or my dad must really be upset with me because he's drinking again. And those thoughts and those beliefs were seeded and they were rooted very, very deep inside of me. And so I do often say, and, and I do believe um, that, so very often this self-criticism and the sense of shame or self-blame is rooted in um, our childhood. And we really have to look at that. Where was this, this thought of not being good enough, um, not being worthy of um, uh, tending to my own needs, taking care of myself, filling myself up first. So I have more to give others, right? Where did that, that, that structure of belief gets turned upside down. Where was that rooted? And I did my own work as I ask other adoptees do who are suffering with this pain point to really pinpoint where they believe um, the seed of pleasing others over pleasing self um, first happened. You know, where was it first seeded in their young experience? So this leads me to a, a A question I I have, Um, you know, all that so understandable and so true. And also, you're the young person who at 16, um, against the objection, as I understand it, of your adoptive mother, your second mother, um, became intent on finding your first mother. That struck me as quite an unusual thing within the context that you're, you quote your uh, second mother as saying, not, not before I'm dead. <laughs> you know, yeah. what do you think? Because that's quite a contrary part of you to the part that felt like you had to behave just right and you had to do everything perfectly. You actually defied her in that, as mm-hmm. I it. What gave you the courage to do that? Yeah, I think things started really changing for me as a teen. I began forming my own, um, I think, thoughts about what I had been being, what I had been for so very long told about my my first, you know, family, my first parents that, um, you know, somehow um, they were um, broken. Like I had first parents, bio parents that were broken. So does that mean that I'm broken too? Am I irreversibly broken? And and I began to explore those thoughts and that were coming up for me as a teen. And no one seemed to be able to give me the answer 
So I know that during that time, I was searching for answers to these, I think, more complex maybe questions that were coming up within myself. I did feel innately broken. And I thought that maybe that's just what happens. Maybe some people are just broken like I was, and that's just the way it is. But certainly shouldn't I try and find out if that is indeed true? And so I... Maybe I could imagine you thinking, where did it come from? Mm. Uh, absolutely 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 could you share the part of the book about crying with your first mother i i feel that's just Mm. such a deep part of your book that that i think of as we're talking about this absolutely you know i i reunited with my first mother in my teens um and that that was um a a reunion that taught me a lot. Ultimately, it taught me that um, there was no one outside of myself that was going to heal me. I, I, that seed was planted that somehow I I think I need to do this work on my own because I'm not sure that even my first mother can give me the answers that I'm looking for. And so I think that really um, started my journey of, of deep self-healing or the desire to, um, to do that kind of healing work. I didn't know how that would look. Um, and I think it, it really started for me in college um, in, a, in a big way when I moved to New York and went to college there and started exploring um, my own thoughts and, and my identity. But it was in um, several years later as an adult when I was back um, sharing time with my, my first mother in England, she wanted me to come to her uh, bedroom. She had something to show me. And I write in the book, mom turned around and walked toward me with a small brown envelope in her hand. She said, I've been holding on to this for years and years, and I want you to have it now. I took the envelope from her hand and I slowly opened it. I pulled out the folded piece of paper and saw that it was our original letter of relinquishment from so long ago. I said softly, I have the copy of this letter, but I've never seen the original. Somehow, mom, this hits me differently. It makes me so sad. It's as if I can feel your hand pressing against the paper as you signed your name here, giving up your rights to raise me. I began to weep uncontrollably. Mom began to weep too. And she said, I never wanted to let you go. I agonized over the decision, but I had no choice, or at least I didn't believe that I had any choice. I need you to know that I didn't want to let you go. Mom fell into my arms and I embraced her. I rocked her like a little baby and I said, I have missed Julia Dawn all my life, Mom. I haven't known how to grieve her or where to place her. I haven't known how to grieve you or where to place you either. It's been so hard. As hard as it's been for me, I know it's hard for you too. We both lost so much. I'm truly glad that you chose to bring me into this world, but my entire life has been spent trying to come back to something inside myself that I feel removed from. I think that thing is self-love, mom. I think that when you relinquished your rights to raise me, I may have unknowingly relinquished my rights to love me. Mom and I cried for the longest time. There was so much grief to let out, so much grief still to process. Looking back on my first mother's relinquishment letter, I see that it represented more than her parental rights being given up. It also represented my relinquishment of any sense of inner value, self-love, and worth. Mm. And then that gets so um, cemented 
by the way that the people around you respond to it. Um, I, I was really thinking a lot about a moment, and and honestly, I don't know if this was some kind of, um, uh, what do I want to call it? I don't know if someone told my daughter that there was another child that, that her um, first mom had had, or if she just felt it. Oh. But one night she told me, um, I have a sister. She had actually said it before, but we thought it was a it was a childhood, um, you know, imaginary person. Because yes. she always had wanted us to adopt another child. Um, and um, but then I found out it was true. It was true. She had a sister younger, three years, I think. And one night I was putting her to bed and she said, Mom, why did she keep her and not me? So, you know, that's the fact that she could ask me that. I'm I'm so grateful for. And that I wasn't going to say, oh, that doesn't matter. You know, <laughs> I was going to say. She wasn't prepared, and maybe now she is. I don't really know, but that really hurts. Mm. Yeah. Instead of trying to get rid of it. Yeah, I just that touches me deeply because you offered in that, number one, she felt safe to come to you and say that and share that with you, but then you validated that and her feelings, and you held safe, sacred space, I like to say, for what she was feeling. And sometimes I, I the best thing we can say sometimes is, I don't know. You know, I, I don't have those answers. We don't know. Are. We don't know, right? Exactly. And, and sometimes as adoptive parents, we want to try and fill in the blanks for our kids or, you know, um, connect the dotted, um, the, the, the dots. And we don't, have the answers and and sometimes it's it's okay to say you know what honey i don't know the answer to that but i do hear you i hear that it hurts and i'm here to be with you through that hurt to hold you through that hurt and i want you to know i i want to i want to understand what you're feeling and what you're thinking and to keep those you know lines of communication open i had those same thoughts growing up you know especially when i found out that my mom had three children um, and she she didn't, you know, they were with um, the man that she was married to. I understand that. But still, I was her child. Um, and, she, and she chose to um, create an adoption plan for me. And, and it, it stings as a little one. When those thoughts go through your your you know your your young brain and your young self that's still developing and forming a sense of um, worth and identity and all of that, and so we don't want to push those things away. We should not within ourselves or are within each other. We need to hold that kind, sacred, compassionate space to explore our innermost thoughts and feelings. Um, so what you what you did and how you showed up in that moment is lovely, Cheryl. That was lovely. Thank you. I, I know I'm I know I have not been perfect because I can't we can't know another person's experience, can mm -hmm. we? No. Just no, trying we can't. to be there. I, I also have been I was thinking reading about how often there's a um there are two griefs going on because so much of adoption has to do with infertility. 
and um, adoption is is no healing for infertility. <laughs> you yeah. know, if you want to give birth to a child and you can't, that's a loss. Yes. And, um, it seems to me that that would probably lead. You tell me if you've encountered this to the um, adoptive parent warding off any grief in their in their child because it activates their own grief. Um, so you got to shut the whole thing down. I, I wonder how much you think that happens for people. I think it probably happens quite often. I know my adoptive mother came to the decision to adopt. She had two um, sons born biologically, my eldest brothers, and then she wanted a little girl and couldn't have um, any more children biologically. And so I knew that I had somehow come into the family to fill a space for her, something that she longed for, a little girl, you know. And again, I think it 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 seeded in me this need um, to show up as this perfect daughter. I certainly didn't want to disappoint her because she longed for a daughter, and I was that girl. Um, and so I, I do believe that we have to be very real with ourselves when we're looking at adopting. Um we have to, is, is this rooted in a loss that I need to heal before I make this decision to adopt a child? Because that child can never heal that loss. That is for each and every one of us to do. And to place that on a child's shoulders, it's just too heavy of a burden. And so doing the work of healing ourselves, whether that's infertility or some other sense of loss in our lives is really important um, along our journey of, of parenting and, and loving a, a little child coming into our life in that way. They're not here to feel a loss, but no. they certainly are here for us to love. And it's very complex. You know, yes. there's a lot going on. There's the joy of parenthood. That's real. Yeah. You, know, you want a child and then you have a child. It is joyful. It's just not only joyful. It's, yes. it's a lot of different things, isn't it? Let's, it let's is the both and. Thing. Yes. Well, yeah. Cheryl, the both and of it all. The both and. Uh, both and, 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 and. <laughs> Let's say. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Out there you can you can go to my website, goodgriefwithcheryl.com. I know it's different than the pro the the um voiceover in between because I've I've changed websites. So it's goodgriefwithcheryl.com. And to find Michelle Madrid, you can go to the michellemadrid.com. Back soon. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. This is Good Grief host Cheryl Jones. Whether you're in grief, crisis, deep loss, or transition, working with the right therapist can move you forward like nothing else. That's why I'm happy to be sponsoring BetterHelp. Their user-friendly platform connects you with a therapist uniquely suited to support you. If you want to know more, follow the link on my host page or go to betterhelp.com slash goodgrief. That's betterhelp.com slash goodgrief and receive a 10% discount for the first month. 
These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Functional Medicine with Dr. Robbins looks at how natural healing and biological dentistry can safely and effectively treat most health problems. You'll hear about the innovations in both traditional and alternative medicine therapies with doctors and dentists, along with discussions with chiropractors, medical experts, homeopaths, naturopaths, and energetic healers. It's great to have all the best information in one place. And Functional Medicine with Dr. Robbins brings it all together. Listen Thursdays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Health & Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. I've been talking with Michelle Madrid about her book, Let Us Be Greater. That's a a title for all of us, isn't it? Let us, oh. let us let us be our greatness in the world. I like the title. Oh, uh, thank you. I I um you know grief is so complex and I as a grief counselor, which is what I do when I'm not on the radio, or maybe what I also do on the radio, <laughs> uh, people usually come when they have no choice, when they're feeling their brokenness so 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 deeply that they just have to get help right Mm -hmm. uh except for people who've already gone through some intense um process of coming to terms with loss and then they come sooner Mm. but one thing that stands out in the book is the encouragement, which I which I so believe in. You have to dive into it. You have to do it. But I wonder how how people come to that when they've been from the time they were nonverbal, from the time they were born or pre-born, as you've talked about. How do you come to the place where you even know? know that diving is a possibility the clients that come to see you that you work with that you talk about in the book um do they just come to a point where it's so painful they have to get help or you know how does that happen because it's starting that seems to be terribly hard for people around grief Mm, it's just unavoidable yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, the um, amazing adoptees who come to me really come to me at the point where they feel that this pain that I've been harboring within myself, this unspoken grief, and maybe they don't even realize it's grief at the time, but this unspoken feeling I have of just um, a sense of dis-ease within myself, um, 
have is when they when they stop and and say I think I need some support I need some guidance and I need someone who understands I think that's really key knowing that you're understood and that there's someone who can sit with you and say I get it I've been there too let me let me help you navigate these waters it's it's powerful isn't it and I think for the adoptee community um, because we are mobilizing, connecting on social media or what have you, we're recognizing that we're not alone. And that gives us a sense of power. And then we hear the stories of other adoptees and we go, oh, well, I felt that too. And oh, I'm experiencing that now. And okay, maybe it's not just me. And maybe I need to look at um, this feeling that I'm having or these thoughts that I, I'm harboring, these beliefs that aren't working for me, um, and and really do the work to dive deep and understand why I am the way I am right now and where I am right now. You mentioned, you know, earlier that, you know, where I am, the current location, you know, and the desired destination that we want, really identifying what that looks like for us. And then what's in the middle? What is the murky water in the middle? What is the gap? And and doing the work to to navigate those parts of ourselves is, to me, hero work is as I like to say. Um, but certainly I think it it they do they do and and I did um come to a point where I felt like the way I'm feeling isn't sustainable. It's not serving my highest good. I feel stuck somehow and I I need to find help. I need to connect with others and I need to understand first and foremost that I'm not alone. Mm-hmm. I used to say that to my I'm better off alone. I came in the world alone, I'll leave alone. Well no healing is best done. I believe in community inside of safe spaces where people can say, yeah, I understand I've been there too, but you know what? Let me help you because there is a way out of this. Let's hold hands and move forward together. There's a general, for all the terrible things that um, the the last several years have brought with COVID and everything, um, it seems to me, and of course I'm in a peculiar a world where grief is talked about a lot, but it feels to me like it's generally being talked about a lot and that losses are being identified a little more. And of course, in, in terms of adoption, also it's it's a little more possible to get information, you know, DNA and which I, I know you caution in your book and that being ready to do that and knowing what you might be getting into, yes, important, but also the idea that that might be possible, that you could find those pieces again, I think that changes the conversation. Um, There's a section of your book called Giving Voice to the Soul, and I wondered if you would share, uh, you know, I love having authors share their writing because it's a little different from our speaking voice, isn't it? Yeah, I know it really is. Thank you for that. That's a, a real gift to me. Thank you. Giving voice to the soul. I'll read from that section of the book, Honor to Do So. I start by saying I believe in the power of self-permission, or as I like to call it, giving voice to the soul. It's a life-affirming practice, one where we begin to grow and blossom in miraculous ways as we permit our truth to emerge. Our truth. Recently, I was coaching a child adoptee who lives in Europe. We were talking about the garden at her school where she's growing potatoes, onions, and tomatoes in her individual gardening plot. 
I asked her what she'd learned from her experience as a gardener. For example, I said, gardens need water to thrive. She replied, they need the sun too. I answered, indeed, gardens need sunshine to grow. And there was a slight pause. Then this little girl said to me, and mostly gardens need love. And the voice of this child's soul was speaking within a safe space of permission to say and feel all that was coming up from within herself. She spoke words of beauty, wisdom beyond her years and unconditional love. Just like that little girl's garden at school, every adoptee has an internal garden. We may not grow vegetables there, but we can grow a beautiful inner ecosystem that supports and nurtures us. We can give ourselves permission to nurture our inner garden, the soil of our soul with unconditional love, kind words and thoughts, the visualization of colors and places that make us feel good and anything else that supports us. Part of nurturing our internal garden as adoptees is allowing for the safe processing of emotions that are asking to be acknowledged so that we may plant the seeds of transformation and growth. And then I go on to say, I'd like to share the adoptee statement of self-permission with you. These words can become an essential part of your daily practice as you tend to the soil of your soul, pruning any emotions from your inner garden that do not serve your growth and seeding within yourself all that is nourishing to your soul. Again, I urge you to create your own statement of self-permission. You can use the one below or write your own. Either way, words of self-permission are important to speak as you move into the next reframing exercise, which is the story of your grief. That's the next part of the book. Um, but the, the statement of self-permission, and I'll read it quickly for you, says, I am safe to feel all that's coming up for me in this moment. I give myself permission to feel and to grieve. I am safely held as I sit here wrapped in the warmth of my body. I am open to feeling the breadth of who I am. I am willing to honor my real feelings because they are valid and worthy. I make a promise to release any emotions of disservice that have been bottled up inside me. I am ready to safely let them flow. Within the flowing, there is cleansing. Within the flowing, there is clarity. I am ready for clarity. I understand that I grieve because I love. I grieve because I love. I think that's so important to say mm -hmm. I am I am grieving and in the process, I am loving myself. I am honoring myself. I am remembering who I am. I am listening to my soul. I'm finding my way home. I give myself permission to feel it all. Mm. Love that. Mm. Because that's the bottom line on it. I, I've been living with a phrase. Phrases come into my head and then they repeat. Mm. Um, and the, the phrase has been, you make sense. Uh, I found myself saying it to clients a lot. Yeah, what you're what you're describing makes sense because people feel when they're flooded with emotion, they feel a little crazy, right? For sure. I've heard thousands of times probably you're going to think I'm crazy, but and then whatever comes next, I never think the person is crazy. Mm -hmm. You know what they're feeling and thinking and and experiencing makes total sense, and that's what I felt when I was reading that part of the book that you just shared. We make sense, don't we? And we need to be loved in whatever it is we're going through. Oh, that is so true. You make sense. I I love that. I'm gonna 
I'm going to use that if you don't mind with myself because help yourself. Oh my God, I love that. How many times have I said to myself, well, you're probably going to think I'm crazy, but, or this may, may not make sense to you, but, you know, um, the fact of the matter is we have to give ourselves permission to explore all of that. And if it's coming up for us, it's coming up for a reason. And it's worthy of giving ourselves the permission to explore whatever that looks like and feels like for us. And when you look back at your life, you know, you can, you can say, I'm not crazy. Look what I, look what I've been through. Look what happened to me. I'm not going to live my life as a victim, but I want to explore the things that have happened to me that have formed me and shaped me to, you know, into this person I am right here, right now. I'm going to love that person and hold that person tenderly in the now. And I'm going to know that I am courageous enough to do this work of healing because at the at the end of the day, and this is where I came to, Cheryl, that I want to step in to the next version of who I'm here to be. I want to evolve in my life and not be stuck somewhere within a suffering that that is not serving me. And so that I think that place of self-permission and creating a, a declaration that allows yourself to come back to those words and to buoy you up, to give yourself the permission to do the work, to explore the, the things that are wanting and calling out, sometimes crying out to be explored is a beautiful gift and an honoring of self. You know, it, it strikes me, I don't know if I've ever thought about it quite this way, but that is actually the opposite of playing the victim. Mm. Because to me, if you're um, in a victim place, you're saying, I've been I've been trounced and there's nothing I can do about it. That's I'm, right. I'm just trapped. I'll never be okay. I'm, you know, that's not the that's not the voice we're talking about. We're talking about the voice that says, this is my truth. I claim it. I heal it so I can move forward. Isn't isn't that what we're really talking about? Absolutely. 100 gazillion percent. That's what we're saying. We don't have to deny that what happened happened. Healing doesn't mean that it didn't happen. Healing to me means that it did happen, but I'm not going to allow it to keep me stuck. I'm not going to allow it not to uh, give me the fuel to evolve and become greater than um, anything that I can even imagine, right? Like the greatness that we can step into one once we lean into those broken places, what is the Rumi quote? You know, the the light enters where, you know, the, the broken place is, or the wound is the place where the light enters. I believe that. We lean into those places of hurt within ourselves. There's a world of wisdom waiting for us there. Take that wisdom and use it as your fuel to step into your greatness, the potential and the possibility of everything you're here to be and everything you're here to do. You know, after after 10 years of talking with people every week about what they made of their grief, I would say um, there's a freedom in facing your grief. You're not avoiding anything anymore. Michelle, right. I really want to thank you for being with me today. I've enjoyed the conversation so much. We could talk enough, a uh, bunch more hours, I'm sure, but thanks for being here. 
I would love to speak with you for hours and hours and hours. This has been <laughs> such an uplifting, encouraging conversation. And well, yes, well, yes, well. yes, I love it. It has offered me another step well, toward freedom touch. and liberation. Thank yeah. you so much. Then you can go to the michellemadrid.com if you want to find out more or find the book. Uh, and next week, I'll have J.J. Duncan. J.J. is on a mission to make end-of-life stories in the media more true to our experiences. As an executive producer, writer, and speaker, she's bringing her experience with the death of her 11-year-old son into her passion to tell true stories. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Espinosa-Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Abre mi corazón.